This is the Wagging Tales podcast. This is the podcast that tells the stories of animals and the professionals that work with them so that we can learn from their experiences and do the best we can for our animals. I'm your host, Fraser Noble, the owner and behavioural specialist at Noble Canine. I'm Jay Quack. I am a behavioural dog trainer with Noble Canine as well. This is episode number three. Now, we're doing something a little bit different because the first two episodes that we've put out had a really good response and we're really grateful for that. But it means that we're wanting to give you a little bit more. So we're going to up this so that we do two episodes every month. The first episode of the month will get released on the first and that will be with a guest, either a professional or somebody that has an animal who's had a very interesting and lesson-filled journey. And we will use that to help educate ourselves and, of course, our listeners so that we can do better for our animals. The second of the episodes of the month will be on the 15th. And this one is going to be a topic that Jay and I will then discuss at length. In this episode, we'll be talking about quality of life for our pets. By quality of life, I mean having a good life, not just being completely on life support or being drugged up all the time just to ease the pain and stuff like that. So to do this effectively, we're going to separate this into two sections. The first of which is medical. Now, when we're talking about this, we're meaning how, as pet owners, do we make the hard decision whether to let go of our pets because they're suffering and are not having a good quality of life, or can we keep them going? Can we give them the best that we can while still being responsible and not being selfish. The next one is duty of care, and that's everything that comes before that. So that's, are we truly doing the best for our pets? Are we putting in the effort that's required to give them the best life they can have? Are we putting in the effort to have the best relationship that we can have with them? So to start this one off, we're going to talk about something that many people actually know, especially if they've had multiple pets over their life. And the first part is what we actually do to assess whether or not an older pet or an ill pet is still having the quality of life so that we can keep them on. Because if you don't have an assessment or a scale, then it's very easy for us as human beings to become quite selfish and keep them going even though they're not having a great life. They may be in pain or whatever else. So the first thing I'm going to talk about with that is the quality of life scale, which is H-H-H-H-H-M-M scale. Now, that's a mouthful. I know a lot of people love a good acronym, but that's quite a long one. But they've got that for a reason. And this is scored from zero to ten. So zero being unacceptable and ten being excellent. So the first one on this quality of life scale is hurt. In this scale, we talk about whether is your pet in a lot of pain? Are they always in distress? Do they have trouble breathing? Can the pain be easily managed? Or do you need to be hooked up to things like oxygen tanks and stuff like that? The next H is hunger. Now, this is the one where we talk about is this pet actually eating enough? Are they eating by themselves? Are you needing to hand feeding? Does the pet require feeding tubes 
or for a lot of animals we actually have things like um, critical care and things like that. Are we needing to do things like that to ensure they're eating or are they still doing it by themselves? And the next one is hydration. Is your pet always dehydrated? Are they always on the drip all the time just to get enough hydration into their body, enough liquids into their body? And then we've got hygiene. Now, this one should be fairly obvious, but if you've got an old dog or cat or rabbit or any pet that starts to smell very bad, there's a reason for that. So do we need to be doing extra steps to keep them clean? Are we needing to help them eliminate? Is that something as well? Do they have more pressure sores or are they getting sorry, abrasion sores and things like that as well? The next one is happiness. So this one is a bit tough to determine, but you being your pet's owner and handler, main caretaker, you're the one that should be able to know this the best. Does your pet always have a lot of interest in play, in responding to you, in interacting with you? Is your pet always depressed? Is it always isolated, kept in a cage or in a fence, in a pen all the time? Can you incorporate your pet into your daily activities? So just to add on to that one as well, is that you've got to be able to read your pet for that. And that's when things like training and knowledge with regards to whether it be your dog, your cat or any other animal, or is there changes in your particular animal's behaviour? If they're normally very social, are they becoming more different? If they're normally quite standoffish, are they becoming more attention-seeking? These things are very important to keep an eye on, especially when it gets to this stage. We're then moving on to the M's. So we've got mobility. Can your pet get around without assistance? Do you need to help them get up? Do you need to help them walk? Can they still walk? Can they still run? Can they still jump? Do you need to get something like a cart? All of these things are very, very important. Now, that's not to say that if your pet needs to have an amputated limb, that they should be on the list for medical euthanasia. No, not at all. But it's more about when they get ill or when they get very old and they start to suffer from doing that, it's certainly something to take into consideration with regards to their quality of life. And the last M is more good days than bad. So if you have too many bad days and very little good days, your pet is actually suffering. That depreciates their quality of life. You have to start thinking about things like palliative care. And if you don't have a healthy bond with them anymore, you might have to be made aware that the end is near. Now, just having gone through that list, I think it's quite clear to a lot of people that there's definitely some limitations here. For a start, all of these points are your own opinion. And especially if you're very emotionally attached to your pet, you could potentially be quite selfish in the sense that you want to keep them going because you don't want to say goodbye, which is completely understandable. But even if you had your vet or somebody else ask you these questions, it's still coming from someone's opinion. It's not actually numbers put down from blood tests or medical tests and things like that. So as such, there's other options, um, which we will talk about briefly, but just so that everybody knows that this is not the be-all and end-all when it comes to assessing your pet's quality of life when it comes close to the end. And of course, with so many veterinary experts in the world, you know, we have a lot of 
researches going on, developments going on. We always hope for the best, even if they're still in the R&D phase. We're looking forward to the future. And I know looking through all this, um, recently I had a talk with my wife as well. Being selfish and being very emotionally attached to my girls, I don't know if I have the strength to make the decision to put them down when the time comes. If, of course, knock on wood, that they have, I don't know, really bad cancer or organ failures and stuff like that. Yeah, I can completely agree with that. I mean, even my past pets, we had a cat, Harriet, who she actually had diabetes and uh, heart issues as well. And she had a very good end of life. But the beauty of cats is that when they know it's time, they tell you, they go away and they find somewhere that they want to pass away. And um, that's what she did eventually. But then it comes to other ones like our our dog Briach. He, it was it was too quick for him. It was a, a case of he was having trouble swallowing. I remember I I was uh, I think I was in uni at the time, and my mum called me to tell me this was happening. Took him to the vets, and the next phone call I got was that he'd been put down because he had a tumour in his throat, and the Surgery for that wasn't available at that time. Um, which leads me on to the next point. The medical science with humans and animals is far quicker developing than a lot of people realise. So what used to be, uh, yes, it's a definite, we need to say goodbye moment, might not be now. And again, you can say the same for behavioural euthanasia. Only very short time ago, it was a case of if a dog had a certain behaviour, if a dog had bitten and things like that, it was a case of, yeah, the dog needs to be put down. But now we've got a much more advanced knowledge on cognitive abilities and psychological science when it comes to dogs and cats and other animals as well. And uh, this sort of issue where you've got behavioural problems you can actually be rehabilitated and you can have a dog that at one stage would have been yes, that dog needs to be put down. And then the next stage, after you've done the rehab, that dog's now a beloved family pet. And a great example of that is actually episode one of this podcast. If any other time, like let's say the 90s or the early 2000s, Athos had been the way he was, there would have been no hope for him. And it was only because we went down the rabbit hole of studying psychology, studying cognitive ability, that he's now able to be a demo dog to help other dogs. He's, he's great with our daughter, he's great with people that come into the house. And for that, I'm very, very thankful. So when you're worried about this kind of thing, do understand that, that medical science and cognitive science is very fast moving and don't pull the trigger until you've actually explored all the options. Yeah, a good thing to note as well is that maybe 20 years ago, they consider one year for a dog is about seven years of their life. That's because back then, the average life of ourselves as well, humans, was a lot lower than it is now. More recent studies have shown that the first year a dog develops to about 15 years of our life, second year is up to nine, and then five years per year after that. So it's a very different thing. Another example I would like to give as well was, um, I think about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, 
my first dog, Blue, my first adopt, her mum was found having a really large tumour at the side of her mouth. So she was actually part of the trap neuter release program whereby she had her three puppies, Blue and her two brothers. From there, they, the, her feeder, if I recall correctly, noticed the swelling on the side of her mouth and it had already grown really huge. It was easily occupying like almost half of her face just coming up from the side. So they tr managed to trap her, brought her to the vet. But at that point, it was already too late. They really couldn't do anything about that. So one thing that becomes very apparent when we're talking about this is that it's quite a depressing subject. Um, and there's many other examples that we could give. I mean, I remember one of our adopted rabbits, she had face cancer effectively, and we ended up having to scoop out the, the pus of her face twice a day, every single day. And I remember at one stage realizing this isn't fair. Why am I doing this to this poor little animal who's already lived for eight years, which for a rabbit isn't young. And uh, I kind of feel that we were keeping her going out of selfishness and out of our want to keep her, which to be understandable. She was a wonderful rabbit. She was house trained. She would jump up and watch TV with you. She was absolutely fantastic. But it's the hard choices, and that's why we're talking about this. We don't want to bring anybody's day down, but it's the real-life situations of having pets. So with that, we'll move on to another quality-of-life scale by a Dr. K.T. Hilst. It is the journey scale. So it's the same thing with the HHHHHMM scale. Each of the letters in the word journeys represents something. So for the first one, we have J, which is jumping and mobility. This scale is also on a 1 to 10. So at 1, it's probably the worst, and at 10, it's the best. For the jumping and mobility one, at one point, you have things like your dog can't even stand or walk without help. And by that, you have to really assess the situation as well. You can't just use one point in this whole journey scale to determine the quality of life for your dog because I've seen dogs that have bad back legs, bad hind legs and stuff like that, but they're still really happy being brought out in their little trolleys and stuff like that. At 10 points, it's of course your dog is completely active, enjoys all sorts of activities that you have with them. And then we've got, oh, ouch, pain. So similarly to the last scale, we're talking about how does your dog feel with regards to pain. Point one would be that your dog's crying, whining, or your cat's meowing and crying out, or with some animals such as rabbits, they'll just shut down and it seems like they're just not interacting with anything. So you've got to understand what animal do you have and understanding what your particular animal is normally like and what the change is. Five points would be that your dog's on pain meds or your animal's on pain meds. And about 75% of the time, they're, uh, they're all right. And then 10 is there's no showing of any pain whatsoever with your animal. And you would be for uncertainty and understanding. So the one point for this would be that any sort of diagnosis for your pet is unpredictable or uncertain. Five points would be 
your pet has a condition, but it changes over time and it's proving to be more stable. And both you and your vet can make treatments where necessary. 10 points is, of course, completely healthy, no issues. Then we've got R, respiration. So that's basically, how is your pet breathing? Are they coughing? Are they having difficulty breathing? Are they having to open mouth breathe all the time? Are they not eating and drinking because of their breathing? So that would be like one point. Your five points would be occasional coughs and wheezes, but they can tolerate it and it's not really that big a deal for them. And obviously 10 is completely fine with regards to breathing. That's basically whether your dog has asthma or not, Yeah. in our terms. So N would be neatness and hygiene. If your dog pees himself or poops himself and they lay in their own feces and stuff like that, they can't really control or move afterwards, that you may have to always bandage or clean them from their sores and stuff like that, that would be a one point. Five points would be you might have to help them do their business, but they don't just stay there and lie in it. They can hold it in until they get assistance, which is still pretty decent for them. Uh, 10 points is, of course, your dog just does it by themselves. And of course, by this, I don't mean that your pet just randomly pees around the house because that might be just... Most puppies do that without proper training. And that actually does lead us on to the E, which although that is eating and drinking, it's important to understand that if your animal is refusing water and food, it could be because they have diarrhea or urinary tract infection or things like that. Um, and that can be a real mix of behavioural uh, methodology of training when they were doing house training and, of course, actual discomfort with regards to doing it. So that would be like the low levels, one, twos and stuff like that would be refusing food and water. So moving up that scale, you'd be talking about whether your dog is still eating or drinking or whether your animal is still eating or drinking, but is it slower than normal? Are they seeming not so interested do they eat some and leave and come back? Are they less interested in it? And then, of course, full points, 10. They're eating and drinking normally and there is no issues at all. And the next one would be the why, which is your capabilities. So this one really is different for everybody. It depends on how well you understand your dog, how much knowledge you have and how much experience you have. One point would be your dog always makes you worry, you don't understand, and you have trouble providing for them. You feel like you can't help them, even if you want to. But the issue with this scale, this part of this scale particularly, is that are you experienced enough to handle a dog like that? Like, if all you had your life was pugs, no offense to pugs, but they are, of course, of the lower maintenance, lower training required, lower, lower behavioral sciences required to manage, and then you suddenly get a... Malinois or Border Collie, it's such a huge jump. Have you actually took the time to understand your dog and have you done the research into getting a breed like that? And I think that kind of takes a very important point there, just to add to that, that with this particular point, you would understand your capabilities can be improved. So you should never mark so low in this if you're willing to put in the effort to learn more. Yeah, exactly. So five points for that would be you understand the condition, you can meet their needs, you still have some concerns here and there, but you know who to seek help with. And 10 points is, of course, you're completely capable of meeting your dog's needs and not worried about providing for them. And then the last letter there is S, which is social ability. So 
this is effectively the case of is your dog still socialising with the family or you or are they more grumpy um, are they not enjoying getting attention are they not enjoying spending time with you anymore moving up the scale you've got there's some points that are they're irritable but they can just go away to another room and they'll come back when you come in and things like that more just sort of a little bit more aloof than normal and then the last one being your dog loves spending time with you your cat's constantly giving you attention your bunny never leaves you alone your parrot's sitting on your shoulder most of the time you know basically the social aspects that you would want and with this social ability you don't have to worry too much about your dog making friends with other dogs because every dog is different they have their own personalities some might like to play with other dogs some might not you can't force a dog to play with another dog if they're not comfortable because that's how a lot of issues happen. If if I were to rate myself of this social ability, I would have a one, because I just don't like mingling and and making small talk with people and stuff like that. So everybody has their own preferences. And it's important to point out at this stage that although Jay and I are both guilty sometimes for saying dog and dogs, these scales are used for every animal. We just say that because that's the animal that we predominantly work with, but. If anybody came to my house, they would think that it was a borderline zoo. You know, there's three dogs, there's a cat, there's three turtles, and a small homo sapien. It's the only one that bites is a small homo sapien, to be honest. <laughs> We're trying to get that sorted. Um, but jokes aside, it's important to understand that, yes, this is a very serious topic. Yes, it can be quite depressing. But it's important that we actually understand it so that we don't make bad decisions, so that we do the best for our pets. Now, with that said, let's talk about something that's a little bit less depressing <laughs> and a little bit more relevant for most people. Um, and that's effectively what we can do as in our duty of care to make sure that our pets get the best that they can. Now, this might seem a little bit strange, but I'm going to talk about the Animal Welfare Act in the UK because this is the bare minimum for farm animals, for pets, for any person or organisation or company that keeps animals at all. This is the bare minimum. And that is point one. They must have an appropriate environment for that species. Now, this could be ensuring that your cat has enough to explore, they've got enough to play and things like that. It could be making sure that your dog has a safe place, somewhere for them to go. It could be making sure that you're not keeping your rabbit in a tiny little cage, because that's not a good environment for them. The next point is social or housing, appropriate housing. And this is not talking about the house. This is talking about if you're dealing with a sociable animal, are you giving them enough exposure to be sociable to other animals? So if you have a dog, are you ensuring that they're able to go and meet other dogs with appropriate socialisation? Or do you have multiple dogs in your household? And if so, are you ensuring that their social interactions are appropriate as well? This could go on to diet as well. That's the next point meaning that are you giving your animal appropriate nutrition? Now, of course, there's a big scale about this. And like human nutrition, there's 
arguments that go both ways. Some people swear by raw, some people swear by home cooked, some people swear by different brands out in the market there. That's fine. As long as you're doing your due diligence and doing the best for your particular animal. And it's also, of course, up to your capabilities as well. You have to understand that if if people say, or if you follow the raw diet community for your dogs and you believe that that's the best one, are you able to provide it? Because that shit's not cheap. I know I've tried it for a couple of months as well, and it's your dog taking well to it. So like Blue takes very well to the raw diet, but Ori doesn't because she doesn't, maybe she just doesn't like the taste of it, the temperature of it, or it could be anything. And if they're not getting their fill, I'd rather put them on a different diet whereby they have enough food. That actually brings up another very good point, that if you were to even... Let, let's not talk about animals for a second. If you were to feed yourself the very best of nutritious food, the top-tier stuff, it would be incredibly expensive. Yep, and I would kill myself because it's probably boring and tasteless. <laughs> I still want my KFC and pizza. Well, you know, I get that. But if we take that and put that into our pets it can become very expensive and a lot of people don't have the bandwidth to do that. And that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be allowed to have pets. It just means that maybe your pet is not getting the top tier stuff, but you're doing your best for your ability. So the next point in there is behavioral patterns. Now this is very important. So it's a wee bit difficult to explain to some people because they think that Things like training is not behavioural patterns, but if you're able to give your pet more freedom, their behavioural patterns can be more natural. When you have a pet, whether it be a cat, a dog, a rabbit, a budgie, a parrot, it doesn't really matter. You need to be able to keep them safe. And for that to work effectively, training is very, very important. So when we talk about behavioural patterns, it's giving your animal the best freedoms and the best tools so that they can do that. And don't forget, there's a very big difference between obedience training and behavioral training. So even if your dog can do all of the commands that you give them, sit down, stay, stand, jump through a hoop or fly over something, I don't know, and they don't have their behavior issues solved, that just means that your pet can do everything when there's no stress. In a perfect world, of course, there's no stress for our animals, there's no stress for us and everything like that, but that's not always the case. I mean, that is a very important point, is that a lot of the time we will have clients who have gone through training and their dogs are actually very well trained, yet they're still reactive to other dogs. And you hear people complaining about that and saying, oh no, if they were trained pro properly, they wouldn't be reactive. That's not true. If they were trained properly, yes, you can manage that reactivity, but they're still feeling that stress. So that means that their behavioural patterns are not actually as appropriate as they should be. For our examples would be like, if I learned how to sing, I would probably start by singing in the shower. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to host a concert for 10,000 people. I have not prepared all the way to that level yet. So you have to do everything from singing in the shower to holding a concert and everything in between. And the last point in the Animal Welfare Act is just to keep them safe from pain and suffering, injury and disease. Now, we're not going to go down this road too much, but 
That is very telling for me with regards to how we treat, train and care for our animals. Are we doing things with the minimum amount of force or are we keeping ourselves happy and making things easy for us but putting our pets into a more uncomfortable situation because we're a bit lazier or because we've not done the appropriate study to understand how to do things without causing discomfort, pain, suffering. Um, the other thing about this is, again, do you have the tools to keep your animals safe from injury and disease and things like that as well? You've got to make sure you've learned enough and you've got the ability to do this. So the interesting thing about the fact that this is actually a welfare act is that it's very, very relevant to our pets. Even though this act applies to farm animals and any animals, it's exactly what we need to look at with regards to our pets. Are we feeding them the best that they can so that they're stronger and able to survive for longer? Now, we've spoken about that at a little bit of length when we were talking about the Welfare Act, so we'll not linger on that one. But even just through things like you talk about behavioural patterns, you've got remembering the fact that your pet likes to play, so you need to make sure that you're able to engage them, keep them playing, keep them their minds working so that they are happier. And even simple things like people skipping vet checkups because eh, they don't want to take their dog to the vet or because their dog doesn't like them or because their cat doesn't like them or because they don't have a good vet. It's up to you to put the effort in for that. Speaking of which, this Saturday we do have a fear-free dog handling workshop at the Paws and Claws Vet at Sin Ming Road at 11am. So there we will try to explain to everybody how you should prepare your dog for vet visits. It should always be a good thing for them. Otherwise, you have a lot of trouble if your dog were to fall sick or have any issues bringing them to the vet. That's a nice little plug. I like it. So if you're listening to this before the 18th of February 2023, you'll be able to find the flyers that we've been posting all over social media and in our email chains, and you can register and hopefully see you there if you happen to be in Singapore. If you're not, sorry, Tough we're luck. not able to try and fly everywhere. But hopefully we'll be doing online versions of this very soon as well. So with that, it's even simple things like exercise. A lot of people try to make excuses for not exercising themselves. Let's not do the same thing for our animals. Uh, I'm guilty of that, for myself at least. Well, yeah, I mean, I have been in the past, even though I do like to train regularly. <laughs> It's the sort of smallest excuse, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, for example, a lot of people at the moment in Singapore, the weather's been quite tough. It's been raining a lot. So they've been saying, oh, I can't walk my dog because it's raining. But that doesn't mean you can't give your dog exercise. You can do a lot of play, a lot of training, a lot of games inside the house so that you can mentally and physically burn off that energy. It's literally... The term is hitting your dog's energy requirements. And if you don't do that, there's a lot of behavioural issues that can come up. There's a lot of uh, physical issues that can eventually come up if you don't do it enough. It's the same for us. If, if you sit at home and just lie in bed for a whole month, the moment you stand up, you're going to hear all your bones crack and stuff like that. I'm already hearing that when I get up in the morning. I mean, quite recently, even again, talking about humans, last year I wasn't able to train because of a medical issue my energy levels were in the dirt. 
This year I've been given the all clear by the doctors, yep, train. And I've been hitting the gym, I've been lifting again, I've been doing a lot of cardio. And my energy levels are far higher just from starting, and it's only February. So it's super important that we understand that our animals are no different. If they don't get the exercise and they're not burning off the energy, both mentally and physically, that's required, they will not feel as good. And they'll be redirected into something else. I know that there are a couple of countries in the world that you have to, it's required by law that you walk your dog at least twice a day or twice a day. I can't remember what the number was. Yeah, I think Germany might be one of them or... Australia or something like that. Yeah, I mean, tell you what, if you're listening from one of those countries and that's the laws, please write in and let us know. Um, Just comment on one of our Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever we're posting this, or even email one of us. You can email us at fraser at noblecanine.com and the same as j at noble-canine.com. So feel free to reach out to us and share your stories, share what you're up to, um, ask questions especially. Okay, the last one is also quite similar to what we're talking about, and that's effectively making sure that your dog doesn't get bored. I mean, this is something that we just spoke about as well, is that gamification of exercise is great, but even things that are not exercise-driven, such as puzzle games, scent games, things like that, it's super important to keep your pet driven. And again, going back to the Animal Welfare Act, it's effectively behavioural patterns. If you're not letting your cat play by chasing, pouncing, grabbing, things like that, you're not allowing the cat to have behavioural patterns that best suit the cat. In a lot of countries, that means giving your cat freedom outside. But again, if you're somewhere like in certain states in Australia, that's not allowed. Your cat needs to be an inside animal. The same goes for other animals. So like here in Singapore, for example, dogs must be leashed all the time unless they're in a designated area like a dog park or a dog run. So we've got to ensure that we're obeying the law, but we're also doing our best to ensure that our pets get what is needed for them. Which kind of leads to the overall point. A lot of the time you hear people saying, oh, all the pets need is love. Love is all they need. And I wish that were true. But it's simply not. You've got to ensure that not only are you giving your pet love, but you're understanding the animal that you have in your house as best you can. That you have put in the effort to ensure that the environment, that they've got their ability to be sociable if that's required, that they've got their best home for them, that their behavioural patterns are able to be met, that their exercise requirements are able to be met. And quite frankly, a lot of the time it boils down to, have you got the tools to allow all of this? And that's when it can be down to training or behavioural rehabilitation and things like that. And we're not just talking about dogs, we're talking about all of the animals that we can have as pets. At the end of the day, when you've got a pet, You've got to ensure that your pet is suited to your lifestyle and understand that you do have a moral responsibility when you have this animal in your house that you have agreed to care for, that as a human being, you have agreed to do the best for by not hurting them, by not making them uncomfortable, by making sure that they've got the best possible existence with you as their parent, if you like. And I think that wraps up our episode for today. 
if you guys have any questions, anything at all that you'd like to let us know, please contact us by any social media aspect of it. You could email us, you could comment on our Facebook, LinkedIn, or whatsoever. And we'll have all of that contact information on the show notes, whether that be on Spotify, on Podbean, or any of the other areas that you're getting this podcast. So with that, we'll say goodbye for now. We hope that you're enjoying this, and please do reach out. We really enjoy it when we hear from our listeners. We've been getting great responses so far, and we are very grateful for that. So thank you for everybody that's already taken part, and we will see you very soon on the next episode.